Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. A lot of Risk live shows coming up. Risk is in Chicago, Illinois on September 25th, 2013. Uh, The very next night, September 26th, we are at the Pit in New York City and at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles. Then on October 5th, 2013, we are at I.O. West in Los Angeles. That's a special show we're doing. First time we've ever done something at I.O. Andy Dick and Jamie Kilstein will be there, among others. Whenever you want to know how to get tickets or where Risk is appearing next, just go to risk-show.com tour. And now a little something from our network, Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the host of NPR's Bullseye. And I'm Jordan Morris, another guy. Jordan and I have been friends for a really long time, and we co-host the comedy podcast Jordan Jesse Go together. Jordan, what would you say Jordan Jesse Go's all about? Well, uh, it's about funny stories, um, crazy ideas, swearing. So basically nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. But we always have fun and funny celebrity guests from the worlds of comedy, television, music, everything. I think you're actually going to like being radio friends with us. Yeah. Check out Jordan Jesse Go online at MaximumFun.org or free in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. <laughs> I love those guys. Now, uh, keep in mind that Risk and Jordan Jesse Go and everything on Maximum Fun is listener supported. So if you want to help us out, just go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. It is a huge, huge help. Now here's the show.
Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Frank Lenz behind me now. We're calling today's episode Desire. Two stories of people kind of wading into erotic waters, testing the temperature, seeing how well they feel they fit there. Second story will come from my friend, the Brooklyn-based artist, Nayland Blake. But before that, we're going to hear from Amanda Aggie telling a story at the Risk Live show at the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles. She is a writer, comedian, storyteller. You can find her at amandaeggie.com. That's E-G-G-E. And without further ado, here she is now with a story we call Servant's Wages. My problem, besides being an ex junkie, um, <laughs> is that I'm really, really messy. I am a total slob. When I first moved to LA, I was living in this studio apartment and I just never cleaned. I didn't have a vacuum, so like once a year I would borrow a vacuum from like a neighbor and vacuum my floor. Like that's how it was just disgusting, right? And I was like newly sober and I just like hated cleaning. Um, when I was on drugs, I was great at cleaning. <laughs> it's so fun to clean on heroin. <laughs> and Coke, even better. Oh my God, my spices would be like in alphabetical order. It was amazing. But after I got sober, I hated cleaning. Like, I didn't even like doing the dishes, so I would just leave them in the sink, and then eventually they would get so gross that I would throw the dishes away. And so I started buying paper plates and cups because I knew I just couldn't even wash my dishes, which led me to believe that like my not doing Coke is actually bad for the environment. (laughs) So anyways, this is the state that I was in and it was, it was bad. You know, I knew it was like bad for my life. Like I would, I would like go out to bars and like drink Diet Cokes and bring drunk guys back to my apartment and then they would like wake up in the morning and take one look around and like run. You know what I mean? And like obviously they would just like look around at this mess and be like, she is not wife material. And, <laughs> and it was affecting my life, you know? But I just couldn't bring myself to clean. And then around 2005, I read this article in Jane Magazine. And it was about these girls who got thing- guys to do things for free for them on Craigslist. Um, like make out with them or give them massages or clean for them and I was like oh my god that's great but I'm not going to put an ad on Craigslist and then like a month later this guy emailed me on MySpace his name was Michael and he was like kind of goth looking and like had black hair and he was skinny and his email in his email to me he told me that he wanted to be my slave And I was like, what do you mean you want to be my slave? And he's like, I'm a closeted submissive, but I'm not into S&M sex. I just want to serve a woman. And I've never done this before, but when I saw your profile, I just knew that you were the girl I wanted to serve. (laughs) And so I wrote him back. Sure, 
you can be my bitch. <laughs> and he wrote back, great, do you want to have coffee? And I was like, no, just come over and clean my apartment. <laughs> so I invited him over on a Tuesday and he showed up and uh, he arrived wearing a suit. Uh, like he was taking me to homecoming or something, except instead of a corsage, he had a red bucket full of cleaning supplies. <laughs> and I could tell that he was excited by like just how messy my apartment was. <laughs> because he was like salivating like a puppy. And he was like, you really need me. <laughs> and I did, I did really need him, you know? And he's, again, he's like, do you want to talk first? And I'm like, no, there's the bathroom. You can start there. <laughs> and so he went in the bathroom and he started cleaning my bathroom and I, I laid down on my bed like a modern day Cleopatra talking on my Trio 650 <laughs> and uh, checking out other guys on MySpace. And, uh, you know, he made his way from the bathroom to the bedroom and um, he asked if, you know, what else I could, he could do for me and so I gave him my laundry to wash. And I thought, like, as I was giving him, him my laundry, like, I wondered if he would go in the laundry room and, like, do anything weird with my clothes, like, sniff my underwear or try on my red velour sweatpants. But I decided I didn't care if he did. Because if he did do anything gross, like, jack off in them or whatever, it would be before he washed them. <laughs> so as long as he cleaned them, it didn't really matter. When he was done with my laundry, he brought it back up to my apartment and I made him organize my clothes by style and color and put them in my drawers. Because I may be messy, but when things are clean, I like them just so. <laughs> wow, you're really good at this, he told me. <laughs> when he was done cleaning my apartment, he only had one request. He asked if he could kiss my feet. Now, I was not into the idea at all. I mean, he was like kind of slight and just like weak looking and not at all attractive and kind of pathetic looking. And, you know, he wanted to like clean my apartment, which was, you know, emasculating. And he was not the kind of guy I wanted to like be with or, or be friends with, but he had just cleaned my apartment. <laughs> And besides, I've actually done a lot more for a lot less, like giving Jonathan Sperry a handjob for making me a fake ID. <laughs> so I let my slave kiss my feet. And then he took his little red bucket and left. And I looked around my apartment and I loved what I saw. I mean, it was amazing. I had found the solution. I told everybody I knew about my slave who cleaned my apartment for free. <laughs> I even told my mom. She asked if I could fly him up to Seattle to clean for her too. We made plans for a second time and he came over and this time it was just like the first time. You know, I made a big mess for him before he came over and he cleaned up my apartment and it was awesome and it just looked really great. And I was like, this is so amazing. And then at the end he wanted to kiss my feet again. And this time when he kissed my feet, he got a little bit too into it. 
I felt his tongue. (laughs) And it was disgusting. Like, I, I felt like a prostitute who exchanges housekeeping for foot kisses, you know? Like, it didn't feel right. But at the same time, I looked around my apartment and it looked so good. (laughs) So I let it go. And we made plans for a third time. And then the night before he was gonna come over, he emailed me and he said, this time when I come over, would you make me drink your pee? And I considered it, I mean. (laughs) I knew some people in college that were into urine drinking and they were okay people. I mean, they were heroin addicts, but they were cool. And besides, I wouldn't be doing anything gross, he would. It's not like I'd pee in front of him. I'd pee in a vitamin water bottle or something and I'd have him drink it out of that. Maybe I'd even leave some of the vitamin water in the bottle, you know, for enhanced flavor and nutritional value. Okay, I thought, I can do this. I emailed him back and said, yes, I will make you drink my pee. He emailed me again. Would you pee on me? I'll close my eyes so that I wouldn't, won't see you naked. I thought about it. I mean, I really wanted my apartment to be clean. It was messy already. It had been two weeks. But where would we do it? I mean, my apartment's carpeted and I don't want to get pee on the floor. And was I supposed to pee on him before or after he cleaned? And if it was after, then who's going to clean up the pee? I don't know. I mean... Having him drink my pee, that's one thing. I can just pretend that it's apple juice. But I don't think there's any way to pretend that you're not peeing on somebody. I wrote him back, no. I never heard back from him after that. I guess if I was like a real dominatrix, I would have said something like, no, you slime ball. How could you even consider such a thing? Just get the fuck over here and clean my apartment right now. But I wasn't. I wasn't a real dominatrix, you know. I did still really want my apartment to be clean, though. And so I posted an ad on Craigslist <laughs> looking for another slave. I figured, you know, yeah, sure, eventually they're all going to want something, like, for me to pee on them. But if I could just like have them for two weeks and string them together one after another, I would always have a clean apartment. (laughs) I posted an ad and a guy responded and we emailed, but in the end, I never had him come over. Because I guess I figured, you know, I'm not really a dominatrix and I just pictured myself, you know, 10 years down the line in this vinyl cat suit with some guy on all, all fours scrubbing my apartment floor. And that wasn't who I wanted to end up with or the woman I wanted to be. (laughs) And so I decided to cut my losses and I asked around and I found a woman who would clean my apartment for $50. And so I had her start coming and clean my apartment. And ever since then, it's been pretty neat. I haven't been as messy since I've had an actual cleaning woman. The best part about actually paying someone to clean your apartment is that they don't ask you to pee on them. (laughs) 
But if she wanted to drink my pee, I would probably let her. <laughs> Thank you. A couple of years ago, I made the decision to attend New York's Black Party, which is one of the prime events in the gay leather calendar. It is essentially a day and a half long dance party that takes place in a huge ballroom in the center of Manhattan. Guys save up their money all year and plan their outfits. I had never really thought much about going before, in part because as much as I like doing kinky things, I often found myself on the periphery of that community, however it was organized. And that's partially because of who I am. I've always been sort of larger from adolescence. I was really hairy and never really identified with the kind of gym bunny look. I also had a bit of a hard time with how expensive it was to go. It's a couple hundred bucks to get tickets and they're not easy to come by. And so the whole event felt a little strange to me, but I had a friend who had won tickets at an event and couldn't go and offered me their ticket, and so I decided to go. It's a party that happens over the course of a weekend. It adheres to sort of the classic disco rules. Things don't really get rolling until the wee hours of the morning. So I sort of made a plan. I knew another friend who was going. We decided we were going to meet up there. And then I had the dilemma about what to wear. You're not supposed to show up in jeans. You're not supposed to show up in any other sort of casual or, or dress wear. You're supposed to be there in leather or in some sort of a uniform. I own the sort of leather clothes that a very aging punk owns, but certainly not the kind of high-end custom-tailored leather outfit that any self-professed leather man would own. So I decided that since I couldn't go the leather route, I had better go the uniform route, which led me into my second problem, which is that I don't really own any uniforms. And while 
I do fetishize certain uniforms. They're not the uniforms that people normally expect. I can't carry off a cop uniform, for example, but I can carry off a rent-a-cop uniform. And there's a funny way that those are actually hotter to me. Security guys are hotter to me than policemen. I have some fireman gear, but not a whole lot. But I do have a complete DSNY New York Department of Sanitation outfit. And that is the one uniform that I do fetishize. I mean, I'm a pretty schlubby guy. And I have a couple of the garbage men who work on my block are very hot, as far as I'm concerned. And over the years, I acquired the patches and basically all of the gear that I needed to assemble garbage man outfit, which actually is harder than it sounds. In the wake of 9-11, the security around purchasing official versions of any of them became much more stringent. It actually is hard to go anywhere and just straight out buy a garbage man's outfit. It took, a, it took some digging around, but I do have a complete uniform, and I decided that's what I was going to wear. Now, there's a way that the Black Party kind of looms large in people's imagination, and I was thinking about, okay, what is this event going to be? What is it going to be like? I started thinking, do I need to pack toys? Is there going to be room to flog people? Is there going to be room to hit people? What's the deal with all of it? Eventually, I just decided I'm overthinking it. I'm going to go. If it's too much, I'll leave. Or if it's conversely not enough, I can leave. I remember the night going over there was bitterly cold. I met up with my friend at his hotel. We walked over to where the party was happening. We go in and there's barely anyone there. The first thing we realize is that we've arrived too early. But there's music playing. We go downstairs and change into our outfits. He's a lot more daring than I am. He's got chaps, he's got his vest, he's, he sort of has the whole deal. I change into my garbage man outfit and immediately feel like I'm sort of getting the eyeball from a number of different guys. In part because dressing like a garbage man at this thing is a little anti-authoritarian, perhaps. And that's part of my discomfort with organized leather. It takes a long time to meet the people who are involved in it, who are not just into it for a standard idea about authority. The thing that's powerful for me around kinky sex is the way that people make it a vehicle for their creativity. And not everybody does that. There are people who are involved in it as a way of reinforcing a kind of simplistic idea about who they are and about how the world works. And then there are people who are into it as a way of transforming the way that the world works. And those are the people that I gravitate towards and tend to feel are the most beautiful. First of all, I think I'm getting a certain number of people who are thinking like, okay, why is there a garbage man like wandering around in here? And then there's a certain number of them who have that slightly offended Leather Queen air. And the evening kind of goes on, and as the evening goes on, it gets more and more filled with people. 
I think one of the things that happens that I learned early on as someone who was looking for gay sex from an early age is that when you arrive in a location, you do reconnaissance. You check out the possibilities. You look where other people are going and you sort of circulate through the space. And so I start to do that. I'm not so interested in being out on the dance floor, although the dance floor is starting to fill up and it's starting to become this kind of mass of bodies. And for the most part, it's these very particular kind of buff shirtless guys who have been working a long time on their muscles. When I first moved back to New York, I had a job for a while at the Chelsea Gym which was in many ways the epicenter of the Chelsea boy movement. And all around the time for the black party and for the white party later on in the year, we would have guys who would show up and just work out to make sure that they had their body in the right shape for the party. And I would be sitting at the desk, handing them their towels and eating Krispy Kremes in an effort to unsettle them. These are the guys who, having successfully worked out, are now out on the floor providing the show for themselves and for other people. The party itself has transformed the ballroom into a sort of elaborate jungle environment. There are areas that have tableaus with aerialists and different performers. There's a certain amount of kinky play, but it's almost entirely on the entertainment end. It's people in cages, suspended over the crowd, or it's people off in an area hitting each other or piercing each other as part of the entertainment for the evening. At one point, I have a flogger with me and I pull it out and my friend wants to be hit a little bit and I start to hit him and we realize really quickly it's completely impossible because by this point there's too many people walking around, you can't get a clear space. So the flogger kind of goes away and we continue to walk around and I start to meet friends and I start to meet people from other parts of my life. I start to meet somebody who works in an office adjacent to where I was working at the time. Somebody who I've always had sort of a conversational relationship with, and he is with his boyfriend, who I also know. We chit-chat a little bit and then break apart and start to circulate around because we're not really there to hang out with each other. We're there to do something else, and we don't even really know what that is yet. I go up to the balcony that overlooks the dance floor, and then there's a hallway that branches off of that. I walk down that hallway, and there's another hallway. That hallway is a little bit narrower and a little bit darker. And as I look down that hallway, I start to see guys are already beginning to kneel in front of other guys, or people are hanging out, propped against the wall, looking up and down the corridor. I think to myself, okay, this has potential. I head back out and I start to circulate around and boy, this point, it's 4 a.m. and more people have arrived. And it starts to get difficult to move down the halls. And I do sort of another circuit of the whole space. And I come back upstairs to the two hallways. And as I look down the narrow one, 
I realized that one of the light sconces has been knocked free of the wall and is hanging by its cord and the light is starting to flick on and off this sort of one dim bulb that's illuminating the hallway and at this point the hallway is pretty much full of guys I stand at the edge of it and decide to step inside and from the moment that I step inside there's men behind me and in front of me and there starts to be a current of all of us kind of moving, a current that moves us down to the end of the hall. And it's a big building, so that hall is about a block long. I get down all the way to the far end of it, and it's very dark. And by this point, people are openly groping each other, and I'm starting to feel hands on me. And yet, when you look, everyone's looking straight ahead. No one's looking each other in the eye. It's all about touching each other and moving on. I get down to the end of the hallway, and my remaining bit of New York good sense starts to kick in, and I realize that there's a good 300 to 400 men between me and the nearest safe exit. <laughs> and I get a little nervous at that. And there's more men who are entering the hallway at every time. And then I start to think like, okay, I probably need to get out of here. And I start to move back towards the main door. And at this point, the traffic is really grinding to a halt because men are getting more and more open in their fondling of each other. And more men are dropping to their knees. And so things are grinding to a halt men are pushing each other up against the walls and the only way that you can walk at this point is in a kind of shuffle the heat in the room is starting to become overpowering and i start to realize that there's a kind of rhythm going on to what everyone's doing that has no relationship to the music that's playing or to anything else we're all in this sort of weird uh, zombie shuffle. It's like the flipping of a switch, and a part of me recognizes that zombie feeling and thinks, yeah that's hot and all of us are there sort of moving together and moving against each other and I feel a hand grabbing for my belt I turn around and a hand slips my fly down and fishes my dick out and I feel someone's mouth on it and I look down and it's the guy who worked in the office next door behind him is his boyfriend and his boyfriend has his hand on the back of his head, pushing him onto me. And I lean across him and I put my hand on his head with his boyfriend's hand. And I lean over and grab his boyfriend's head with my other hand and we start to kiss. And around us, we can start to feel 
this current moving men back and forth. It sort of goes on for what feels like hours until finally I've had more than I can take and I bend down and pull his boyfriend up and the three of us kiss in a circle and men continue to move around us. And one of the things that I realize is that this is the point of going to this party, that all of the times when I feel outside of these groups, outside of these authoritarian structures, outside of these organized communities, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that moment of absorption and connection and at the moment that I'm absorbed into that contact with other people, then I've found a kind of home, a kind of peace. It's the thing that Carnival is supposed to do. It's the thing that festivals are supposed to do. It's the thing that Mardi Gras is supposed to do. We put on a costume and we dress as the thing we desire. And then we get our desires met. It's the moment at which our public selves fall away. Hogan Grip behind me now, and we just heard from the brilliant Mr. Nayland Blake, good friend of mine, an artist, educator, and kinkster extraordinaire. You can find him at naylandblake.net. That's N-A-Y-L-A-N-D-B-L-A-K-E.net. And just before that, we heard our good friend Tim Heidegger and his <laughs> his band, the Yellow River Boys, doing a song called Hot Piss. That's, they, they have an album called Urinal Street, <laughs> Urinal Street Station that you can look for uh, everywhere you can buy albums this fall. Don't forget that we teach this storytelling stuff. You can take one-on-one lessons with me over Skype. There's also our online course that you can take in your own time. We have one-day workshops, two-day workshops, six-week workshops, Now in both Los Angeles and New York, and we do corporate consulting and training, just go to thestorystudio.org and become a part of this. We're adding workshops on storytelling for dating, storytelling for personal growth, storytelling for the stage and for business. Whatever your needs are, there is something for you at thestorystudio.org. 
We're on the hunt now for Halloween sorts of stories, ghost stories, stories about psychos, nightmares, near-death experiences. Whenever you'd like to pitch us, you can go to risk-show.com slash submissions. Send us your story ideas, whatever they might be about. And become a part of the conversation of the Risk community. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Risk Show. You can follow me on Twitter at the Kevin Allison. You can donate to our cause at maximumfund.org slash donate. Just earmark your donation for risk. You can find our classic episodes, the earliest ones, which are no longer available anywhere else. You can find them in the album section of iTunes for 99 cents each. And of course, our first three all-star episodes are also there for $2.99 each. Just look up Risk on iTunes in the album section. And anything else you might like to know, just go to risk-show.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. everywhere now. Pee, I'm a pansy thing. It's just... Okay. Okay, well, that's... That is enough. <laughs>